0: Chapter 4, verse 38, or you can follow along on the version Bible app. And while you're getting there, I want to share something that I am thankful for this morning. Um, I am thankful for medical workers. Uh, If you work in the medical profession or in any way work in the medical profession, I'm thankful for you because, in all honesty, I make an absolutely terrible patient. I'm horrible as a patient, and let me explain why. So this past August, I, uh, sitting on my couch one Friday, and start to feel some chest pains. Come to find out, I had a pulled muscle in my chest, which, honestly, I think I did again recently, that's neither here nor there. But sitting on the couch I start feeling some chest pains and if you didn't know this about me I actually do have a heart condition I have what is known as a quad cuspid aortic heart valve you are you like, know, okay that sounds made up what is that um the aortic heart valve usually has three flaps in it mine has four and whenever I say this to a doctor they're like oh you mean bi cuspid like it has two no I, it has four that's what I was told when I first discovered this. I had a heart murmur. That's how they found it. And so, like, oh, wow, you're, you're a medical market. Like, I, they're learning things. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, and some doc- one doctor actually told me, well, then there you go. You just have an extra one in case you ever need it. So uh, anyway, so because of that, I decide, well, maybe I should ask some people that I know who work in the medical field, and maybe they will uh, give me some answers and you know, they said, no, that doesn't sound like a heart thing. But in my mind, I'm like, nope, it's my heart. There's something going on there. And they say, well, okay, well, then go to the doctor. And I do, and they put me through all the tests. I have an echocardiogram and an EKG and a treadmill stress test, and they say everything is good. And my regular doctor does some blood work to make sure there's nothing else crazy with my blood, and everything comes back good. But in my mind, there's still something wrong. Like, you need to figure this out. There's got to be something wrong. Well, eventually it went away. You're like, okay. Everyone was telling me it was probably just a pulled muscle. It went away. Okay, things are good. But I'm a horrible patient. And I've noticed that <laughs> I try to play, even though I'm a horrible patient, I try to sometimes play doctor. I'm one of those people that you would call an Internet doctor, like um, WebMD and... Uh, I start to notice something like, ow, my shoulder hurts, then there's got to be something severely wrong with me and because the Internet said there was. And I will try to impart the same wisdom to other people. They say, hey, uh, I've noticed I've had a runny nose. And I go to WebMD, and it's like, oh, man, there's a wide variety of things that you can have. I don't know why I'm this way. I think partly it's, I like the idea of having some kind of control thinking that I have some kind of power over whatever it is that I'm going through. It's interesting, last week in Luke chapter 4, we talked about the fact that Jesus has power. We've been going through the gospel of Luke, and we've seen different things about Jesus and, and who he is at his birth, the the things that the angels proclaimed about him, the things that we heard about who he is. And last week, we started to see his power on display. We see a demon come, a demon-possessed man come before him, and he drives this demon out of this man, rebukes him, tells him to leave this man. We see that he has power. And this morning, we continue to see that Jesus has power. And we find Jesus this morning in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, doing another miraculous thing, another event that displays his power. And in Luke chapter 4 verse 38, it's a text that often brings a lot of questions, brings a lot of questions. A a lot of people wonder about what does this text mean for us today? Things like miracles, all sorts of things. But I think that we see when we read this that Jesus is in control, that he has power, that he has power over the evil spirits he has power over sickness. He has power over death And that should give us comfort and peace So we're going to jump right into our text We're going to start in verse 38 It says and he arose and left the synagogue and entered simon's house Now simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf And he stood over her and rebuked the fever And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So we see here, right at the beginning of verse 38, this has taken place after what happened last week. Jesus in the synagogue drives out this demon, and now from there he goes over to the house of Peter. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, tells us that it was Simon Peter, where Peter's mother-in-law is there with a great fever, And it's interesting, when you look at the other Gospels telling this account and this event that takes place, you know, they mention she was at home ill with a fever. She was sick with a fever. But Luke, the physician, goes into detail. He says it is a great fever. Remember, Luke is a physician, Colossians 4.14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. The word here for great is a word that implies large or intense some say this was even greater than when a man has a cold. I, I joke. Remember, me, horrible patient. Um, I am insufferable when I'm sick with anything, so uh, I, I kid, I kid. But it was a large, intense fever. We don't know what she had, how long she had it. She could have had it temporarily. She could have had it uh, for quite a while. It doesn't tell us, but what it does tell us is that they implore Jesus to help her. They are are making an urgent plea, an urgent request. Will you please help her? And so we see that He does. Matthew, in his gospel, says he touched her hand. In Mark's gospel, it said Jesus took her by the hand and lifted her up. What's interesting here is that Luke mentions in his gospel that Jesus, standing above her, rebuked the fever the same way he rebuked the demon that we read about last week. Matter of fact, what's interesting is this word here, rebuke, it's the exact same word that is used in both instances. He spoke to the fever as though the fever could understand him, that he could understand him, and the fever goes away. Now, this has led people to ask the question, because the same word for rebuke is used in both cases, was this a demon that was causing this illness? I don't believe that to be the case because verses 40 and 41, which we'll read here in a little bit, seem to make a distinction between the two, sickness being driven out and demons being driven out. And this brings up a pretty good question. It's an important question that many people ask. And so if not demonic, then why do godly people get sick? If God is so good, then why do people get sick and why do people suffer? Now, you see, the truth is there are cases that we read in Scripture where sickness is caused by demon possession, but then there are times that that is not the case. And really, if we're completely honest, what it is, it's the result of sin in a fallen world. Man is told in Genesis to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we know what happens next. They're tempted, they fall, they stumble into sin. Man disobeys, sin enters into the world, and with it, spiritual death, but also physical death and sickness and we feel those effects today, our body will see decay. But here's the good news. God can still use this. More on that just here in a little bit. And sometimes the truth is, it's consequence. Sometimes we make the same mistake over and over and over and over again, and sometimes those mistakes lead to consequences. But either way, We see that this fever, which is rebuked, leaves Peter's mother-in-law. And then I love what it says. It says, it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Like she wasted no time. It's like this sickness didn't have any ill effects after it was gone. She's back to normal. And matter of fact, she wastes no time. She jumps up and is like, hey, I got stuff to do. I've got people to serve. There's guests in my home. I don't have any time to wait. And so she starts serving the people. It's interesting. The phrase here for waited on them, some translations use it, waited on them, is one word in the Greek, and it's the word in which we get our word deacon, which means servants. She jumps up and she starts serving the people. She wastes no time. But that's not the only thing that takes place here. We move to verse 40, and it says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. So now people are starting to come to Jesus as the sun is setting. Why are they coming now that the sun is setting? Well, this was, of course, a Sabbath day. And because this was a Sabbath day, they could not bring the sick to them. To carry the sick during Sabbath would be considered unlawful. And so now with the setting of the sun, they viewed this as a new day. Once the sun set, this was the beginning of a new day. And so now they're bringing their sick and he's laying his hands on them and they're being healed of their diseases. And at the same time, it says that people that are demon-possessed are coming to him and he's driving out these demons. And again, we see Jesus rebuking them and silencing them. They knew who he was. They knew he was the Son of God. And he's silencing them from speaking. Again, he had not yet begun to share his messiahship with people. And so he is telling them to be silent. You see, the people were waiting, but they weren't yet ready. They weren't yet ready to hear about the messiahship of Jesus Christ. And so he's rebuking them, telling them to be silent. And it's at this point in the event in Matthew chapter eight, verse seventeen that Matthew points out that this fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah chapter fifty three verse four, which says, "Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted." Later on, we would see Peter use this same thought when he applies it in first Peter chapter two, verse twenty four applying it to the cross in first peter two twenty four it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed you see i think these verses that we've read this morning show us something very important about who jesus is you see jesus is the great physician That is who he is. He is the great physician, one of those I ams. He is the great physician. And he shows that he is the great physician in two ways. For starters, Jesus shows us that he has power over all sickness. There was no sickness or illness that he could not heal. He had the ability to wipe away a person's illness if he saw fit to do so, and it was part of his will. Job 42, too, reminds us, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He, is, he had power and he has power over all sickness and all illnesses. And so this leads people to ask a couple of questions. If he has power over these things, over sickness, over death, then one, does he still do it today? And two, should I pray for miracles? Now, first, let's answer the first one. And to do that, we have to start by defining what a miracle actually is. The late Richard L. Pertill, he was professor emeritus of philosophy at Western Washington University, describes it in a way that I really like. He says, A miracle is an event that is brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history so that God can intervene outside of the natural law, the natural order of things. And so with that definition in mind, the question becomes, does God still do miracles today? And that depends on who you talk to. Some scholars on one side of the aisle or brethren on one side of the aisle say that while miracles can happen, the, the, the act of miraculous healing and stuff like that have ceased. They're no longer needed today. They were meant for a specific time in a specific place. While other people on the other aisle say that it is active and happening today. And there seems to be two extremes, that everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle I think I find myself in the in-between. You see, I don't believe that everything is a miracle, but then it's very hard to argue when you read the descriptions, the documented reports of miraculous things that have taken place. It's hard to argue that God is not doing miraculous things today. And I don't know if we'll see waters parted and large groups of five thousand being fed with just two fish and a loaf of bread but i don't think that means that he's not doing things today but here's the good news i think people on both sides believe and have this agreement that who are we to say what god can or cannot do god can do whatever he wants to do who is bobby to tell god god you can't do that anymore (laughs) i'm not going to do that But here's what I think is important. Today, many people want to say that there is no God and therefore there are no miracles then, now, ever. There can be no miraculous things ever. It's all science or it's all random chance, says the skeptic. You hear the atheist use an argument that sounds like this. You Christians believe in miracles, but you can't prove it and it's not scientific. But then they, in the same conversation say if your god doesn't do any miracles to help people then he's an unloving monster that doesn't make a lot of sense there is no god miracles don't happen but the god you claim doesn't heal miracles so he's unloving others want to say that because they didn't experience a miracle it means god is unloving or therefore he is not real we'll talk more about that here in a moment blase pascal once said it like this it is impossible on reasonable grounds to disbelieve miracles c.s lewis once said miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see here's the thing i think we can all agree on whatever stance we take god is able god is able to do whatever he wants however he wants whenever he wants so the question then becomes should we pray for healing is it wrong of us to pray for healing? Should we be praying for healing? I think absolutely it's okay for us to pray for healing. I think scripture tells us to pray to God whatever is on our hearts. James chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, here's the thing. We can pray for healing. And you know that he hears our prayers, but this is where we come to something that we need to understand. This is important that we understand. Just because he hears our prayers... And doesn't mean he's always going to answer our prayers the way we want him to you see he is always going to answer our prayers according to his will and his purpose and his plan not ours if you think about it look at the end of the ministry of paul paul was sick timothy had stomach problems epaphroditus is sick trophimus is sick there's a lot of people in scripture who are sick and they minister and they share the gospel sick. John MacArthur once shared a story about his friend, preacher James Montgomery Boyce. And he shared the story about him after he had passed away. And this is what he said about James Montgomery Boyce. He said he found out he had cancer and within 70 some days he was dead. And he went from health to death in just that matter of a few months. And, of course, his congregation back at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia were saying to him, what do we, how do we pray for you? Can we pray for God to heal you? And his response was, certainly, you can pray for God to heal me. But I believe the same God who can heal me could have prevented me from ever having cancer. It's his purpose. If he chooses to heal me, that's fine. If he chooses to take me to glory, that's fine. You see, just because he can does not mean it is always in his will or his purpose or his plan to heal our physical bodies. And here's the truth, he's not obligated to. God is never obligated to heal any of us. And that brings another question. Why? Why does God in his will, allow some people to never be healed? Or or why does he allow us to suffer through things? What's the purpose of it? Why does he allow this to actually happen to us? I think there's some reasons. I think sometimes it's to build up and test our faith. Sometimes he allows us to go through the things that we go through, the, the trials, the suffering, the hardships that we go through, so that we can see how much or how little we trust on him and lean on him. Remember what James tells us in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Some, you know, we see the word steadfastness here. Some, uh, say that it builds perseverance some translations use the word perseverance and the word perseverance here it means the power to withstand hardship or stress the more that that faith builds within us perseverance it gives us power more and more and more to withstand the hardships and the stresses that we go through paul says something similar in romans chapter 5 verse 3 not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and how fitting is it that paul uses these words because if there was anybody who understood suffering it was paul paul understood suffering greatly and paul reminds us that our suffering can show us god's grace his love is sufficient for us in our weakness and our suffering he says it in second corinthians 12 7 through 9 So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This thorn in his flesh, this, this physical pain that, that Paul faces taught him to trust in God's grace. I like what else Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. He says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And because of an ailment, it is where he first preached to the people that he's writing to in the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians. Many have tried to guess what his illness was here. Many believed because of that last part that he had some problem with his eyes. Others believed that maybe he had epilepsy or malaria. It doesn't matter. What matters really is that he trusted God and God used him despite the illness that he had. He used that illness to remind him to rely on him. You see, the truth is sometimes we're going to live our life with health issues Sometimes we're going to live our life with things that we wish we did not have. But sometimes when we're living with these things, it can cause us to focus on his strength, his grace, his power. And here's the truth. Sometimes sometimes it's a test and build our faith. Sometimes he allows it to happen to discipline us, to teach us. Psalm 119, 65 through 72, it says this, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your, pro, uh, your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You see, the truth is this, that we can learn from our suffering. We can learn from those hardships that we face, those things that we go through. We can learn to be more obedient to him. We can learn to trust in him more. We can grow in our faith, as we just mentioned. We can grow full of faith in him. Sometimes he allows these hardships to teach us and to discipline us. He is the great physician, and here's the second way he is the great physician You see, we may face a decaying body, each and every one of us, but here is the truth. We are far much worse off than we ever care to admit or realize. We are infected with sin, each and every one of us. But here is the great news. For those who put their faith in Christ, we are healed in such a greater way. We are healed spiritually, saved from death look back to 1 Peter 2:24 because of Christ's death on the cross his blood shed we have an opportunity to die to sin and live to righteousness We are healed to a greater extent. Our bodies will face decay. And guess what? Even if you are healed from some form of suffering that you're going through, guess what? Your body will still decay. Your body will still eventually go to the grave. God, you know, Christ raised Lazarus from the grave just for Lazarus to go back to the grave. He heals Peter's mother-in-law just for eventually Peter's mother-in-law to go to the grave. They're temporary. But here is a healing that is even greater because it is one that is eternal. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the truth is this, whether God heals you physically or he doesn't. He has power over sin and death and the fact that he has defeated sin and death. He died on the cross. His body was placed in a tomb. But three days later, he rose from the grave. So whatever it is you are going through in the body, remember these words from Paul. Second Corinthians 4:17 through18. "For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We need to remember this. Our bodies are temporary. But on the other side of heaven, there is eternity, life eternal spent with Him for those who put their faith and trust in Him, who live in obedience to Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, He is truly the great physician. He is the great physician. And you see, this great physician, he calls us to something important. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to call the sinners to him. You see, he is the great physician who wants to heal us spiritually. I read a great quote the other day. This quote said, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. You see, I don't believe that God looks down on us, on our suffering, and says, Oh boy, this is wonderful. I am so thrilled this morning that he is suffering, that she is suffering. It's wonderful. I don't believe God looks at our suffering that way but I believe he can look down on it and say I can do great things I can do great things if you are obedient I can use whatever it is you're going through to do good things you know it's interesting I was talking to Kay about this 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 morning and we were talking about you know how can God use our suffering our trials And the first thing that she said, the first thing that came to her mind is, you know, when we first got married and we were trying to have kids, it was so disappointing and heartbreaking when we couldn't. And whenever somebody was going, was celebrating and was happy what God was doing, it was just, we wanted to be so happy. We wanted to be so joyful. And yet we found ourselves so often just kind of crushed. Wondering, God, why in the world, why in the world are we not getting to have what other people have? it felt like suffering but we were talking about it this morning and she goes you know what I've learned and realized through all of this just how many opportunities God has given me to come side by side with other people who can't and say guess what God's grace God's mercy God's compassion on you is His power His strength is sufficient for you Sometimes he takes what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And I can't think of anything truer than that when I think about the cross. When I think about the death of his son to accomplish something so great, something that was so needed, reconciliation with him, wiping away our debt. We don't realize just how broken we are how polluted, how filled with sin we are. And the greatness of this, the, something so tragic, something so horrible used to reconcile us to him. He takes, he permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And so my question for you is this, do you have a relationship with him? have a relationship with him? Have you given him your life? Have you put your faith in him? Because here's the truth, true peace, the film, the, the fullness of peace is in him. If you haven't, I would love to talk with you about it. Our elders would love to talk with you about it. Or maybe you are here this morning and you just need to spend some time in prayer. You've been going through things and you've been thinking God why am I going through this why am I suffering through this why am I dealing with this why am I struggling with this and your thought has been I just want to run away maybe it's gotten you to a point where you're thinking God must not really care God must not really love me I feel like I'm struggling in this We just need that reminder this morning that he is with us he is with us through our suffering through our trials and guess what he may be using those trials and suffering those things that you are going through to build your faith and trust and reliance on him and maybe he's using what you're going through to be a comfort to be a man he's using your he's using you to comfort someone else who's going through the same thing Maybe you just need to spend time in prayer. But here's the thing. We know that he is the great physician. And guess what? He may heal us physically. He may not. But guess what? He has healed us to a greater extent. Through his blood shed on the cross, through his death and his resurrection, he has defeated the grave. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And guess what? We can have life with him, reconciled to him, because our debts have been paid. And so if that's you this morning and you need to talk and you need to pray, I hope that you would do so as we stand together and we sing.